Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Katie. I'm Mel. And we're your hosts. This week, we watched the Back to the Future trilogy, directed by Robert Zemeckis and released in 1985, 1989, and 1990. The plot of the movies goes something like this. A teenager and his elderly scientist friends have adventures in time. And his elderly scientist friends? Friend? Have an adve- have adventures in time. Yeah. Uh, well, I... Well, Clara's not really elderly. And she also well, neither is science-y. Doc Brown. He's not exactly elderly. He's 50 you No, know, he's got to be like 70 or 60 at least. Because when he goes back 30 years, he still looks old. There's no way that he's not like 70 or like 60. Even if he's 60, going back 30 years, he's supposed to be 30 in the 50s? I don't know. Well, we worked out that... I um, was going with 40 and 70. Fair enough. We worked out that Mr. Strickland was was meant to be about 25 or 30 in the in the 50s. So I guess... That works for Doc Brown. Well, because I, yeah, I was going for 40 and 70 because they do put old age makeup on him in the 1985 present as well. They do. So he's supposed to be, he is playing older than he is. Yep. So yeah, I was guessing about 70. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so we're going to talk about all three movies. If you haven't seen them, I don't know what you've been doing with your life. <laughs> um, and we are releasing this for the anniversary, not the anniversary, for the date that they travel to in 2015 in Back to the Future 2. So October 21st to 2015 is the date that Doc and Marty and Jennifer tra- travel to in, in the, second the future movie. in the second movie. So that's why we're doing it at this time. And you will notice many, many, many other people doing exactly the same thing. Lots yes, of lots stuff of celebration of Back to the Future, which is good because mm. I like Back to the Future. And lots of people whining that they don't have flying cars or hoverboards. Why don't I have a flying car? I want a flying car. Mm. I can get behind that as well to be honest i like, I like the flying idea car. of flying cars well I, I, i'm what self-driving first but i definitely would like a flying car i mean if they're not going to get onto teleportation we yeah. could at least have flying cars. or safe teleportation is the next best thing but you know it is only 30 years you can't do that much in 30 years well apparently. according to these movies you could but it is interesting um yeah there's a lot of interesting things we can talk about with that but let's sort of go back a bit and, and at least review the films <laughs> And at least cover the films a little bit. Yeah. So uh, we watched through these last night. For me, it was probably the first time in about five years or so I've watched them. I've watched them a lot on TV. I watched them when the Blu-rays came out a few years ago. Like I've had a lot of viewings and I still like them. They're still excellent and they're still very well put together. But this is the first time I've watched it and started to pick apart at at things that bugged me. Well, see, I can both pick at, pick at things that bug me in these movies and still really, really enjoy them. They do have a lot of problems, but I still really love them. And I yeah. think the way that they're made has so, plays into that so much. But there's also bigger themes of like, you know, friendship and family and, mm. and time travel. And time travel is cool. Time travel is always cool. And you will break your brain trying to work it out. Yeah. It's the so best. It's, yeah, there are themes in it that I think resonate well. But I also think that there's every so often movies just hit upon a kind of magic where everything kind of came together properly. Mm. And I think that's what happened with Back to the Future is that yeah. it really comes together. It's not, it's, it is really well made. And, um, the team of Steven Spielberg producing and, um, Robert Zemeckis directing clearly works pretty well. Uh, yeah, there's I this real that... kind of like, and, and they, they, there's all these stories about how they tried to get Michael J. Fox and then they had Eric Stoltz and he wasn't working mm. and they got Michael J. Fox because he managed to get time off from family ties. And, uh, and he'll say things like, when Bob Zemeckis tells you to, you know, ride a skateboard while holding onto the back of the truck, you do it. 
So clearly there was like this kind of good energy around yep. it and it worked well. And everybody kind of is on – one of the things that I noticed this time around is everybody is really on the same page about acting. Mm. Everybody is pitching – and everybody they kept at least is pitching their performance at the same level. Right, It's kind right. of like halfway between reality and cartoon. Yes. Yeah, I, I really – I actually did notice that this time, the particular physicality of it all. I think they – they're quite consciously over-the-top mm. movies. This is why they resonate so well with children. Mm. Um, and there's uh, – particularly in the first one, I noticed it with Crispin Glover first, but then I noticed it with everybody else. There's a lot of loose-limbed physicality, yeah. a, way of, a way of moving around and just being in the space that kind of adds to that that sort of clownishness of the performances. Yeah, and there's a lot of physical comedy, but there's also this um, – the way that they are physically – it's really interesting to see how the actors differentiate between their roles because mm. as I'm sure everybody knows, like the actors all played several roles. So you've got Leah Thompson playing um, Marty's mother, Lorraine, as a young uh, teenager and as a mother. Mm-hmm. Um, Crispin Glover does the same thing. But then also um, Michael J. Fox plays his own kid and his own daughter, his own son and his own daughter, sorry, mm. um, yep. which is – And his know, own great, great grandfather. Uh, well. and, yeah, and that. Um, and, and Leah Thompson plays – his wife, which we were talking about yeah. a little bit last night, which I think we'll get to when we get to the third yeah. one. But um, so you, you get everybody except really Doc. He only plays, uh, except <laughs> yes. Christopher Lloyd only plays two versions of himself, a right, younger right. version and an older version. And um, there's not a lot of difference there. No, I think there is a bit of difference, but it's not quite as pronounced as the others. But that's part of the character as well, I mm. think. Like the yeah. the difference for him is, but is not as great as being a teenager to being a uh, grown-up. Yep. He's already done his growing up by the time he's in it. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. Um, and he is playing the same character. And, of course, the parents have two different uh, grown-ups. Crispin Glover and Leah Thompson have two different versions of Marty's parents that yeah. they play. So they're in the 85, so there's like the, the one we see at the start, the parents who've had a much harder life, a bit more beaten down by life, and then there's the kind of successful parents that they play at the end of the film. Yeah, um, and uh, I was particularly impressed with Leah Thompson watching her this time through. Um, mm. She does a really good job yeah. um, of playing like every single character that she plays is is different, but in these little subtle ways rather mm. than going for like the big thing, doing big obvious things. Like yep. her first Lorraine as a mother is, is unhappy and she's hunched and she's stiff and her voice is cracked. And then she jaw goes is to tight. Her jaw well. is yeah. yeah. And then she well, that might be makeup. <laughs> well, no, so it's a bit it's both. Like she works with the make she's got a bit of extra weight in that one as well. And in her face and in her body. And she works with that makeup um to kind of tighten her jaw and that's that's why she hunches a bit and she doesn't feel uncomfortable in her clothes kind of thing. And then mm. the later one she stands up straight, she's walking in confidently, she's But she's relaxed. still kind of aged. Yes. She which was is really she clever. Did one of the better aging jobs as well, because like the makeup isn't perfect and we were watching the cleaned up blu-ray 25th anniversary edition type version of it so you could really see the makeup because the mm. hd um finished but in spite of the makeup not being perfect she carries that does that carrying herself differently her eyes look different yeah it works she works really well um and then her young lorraine is just adorable oh, and she's like so, so full sweet. of life and happy and you know mm. up and and uh, and flirty and mm. and really kind of fun. I like her a lot. So yeah, I thought that was because people talk about Crispin Glover a lot and the other mm. actors in it a lot. And 
she doesn't seem to get as much recognition for the work that she put no. in. And I thought she was really good. She yeah. even kind of gives a sh- takes a shot at the Irish accent in the third one. <laughs> Bless. And while they're not the best Irish accents, they're definitely um, better than some other ones I've seen in movies. Yeah. Um, and she also plays another older version. So she plays three different older oh, yeah. versions of Lorraine. Well, she, she plays her plays in twenty fifteen as well. Big boobs one. Oh, so she plays four. So she oh, plays four. she plays nineteen eighty five Lorraine that's married to Biff yeah. Tannen with the fake boobs, but she also plays twenty fifteen. Grandma Lorraine. I didn't see her very much. I think I was uh, I had a toilet break. In we her, like, yeah. I think scene. we both got a bit bored during the second. We marathon these, and we both got a bit bored in the second one. Well, the second one's the worst movie. Yeah, of the, the, the three, it's the weak link. I think technically the first one's the best movie, but my favorite is the third one. Yeah, I really like the third one. It's the one I know the best. I feel like it's been on TV a lot or something. Yeah, it has. So I, I, it's the one I'm most familiar with, and I, I also it's actually got a spunky girl doing something. In it with Mary Steenburgen. Well, she's I feel like that's the, the thing with Lorraine is that she does things a lot. Like Lorraine, also there's the you know the scenes where she's being taken advantage of. By the way, Biff Tannen, huge sexual predator. Um, yeah, in all timeline, it, even in the timeline where it works out well, uh, Marty's dad hires his wife's former attempted rapist to work for him. Like, well, I weird. see. I don't think that's. I think the way you're looking at that is slightly different to the way he's looking at it, which is he's hiring him to continue to put him in his place. Yes, yes. Where he's like, I think that's how the you movie's work looking for at me. It. I think that's how the you movie. are below me. Also, they have to yeah. keep him in there. Yeah, and but I, I think that is. Uh, but even then, I think that's something that uh, I feel like that's something that um, George would do, mm. or like that reality George might do, where he's like, "Yeah, I'm above you." That's true. I don't yeah. like George very much. Yes, I've noticed. He well, he's a creeper as well. The reason he gets hit by the car is he's in a tree spying on the rain. I feel like that's kind of a th- there's a very interesting attitude towards teenagers in general in these movies, which is that teenagers in general are idiots. Yes, uh, which is why the um. That people playing them in their twenties do it so well because this is a long-held acting theory of mine, by the way. That when you're in your twenties, twenty twenty-somethings play teenagers better than real teenagers because they're aware of how stupid they were when they were teenagers. Yeah, I love I love watching like old Biff from twenty fifteen go back in time to talk to his twenty fifty uh, his yeah, nineteen fifty five no. self, and he just can't stand him. And uh, he's so <laughs> mad. Got like a tree and leaf. <laughs> you sound like an idiot when you do it wrong. The funniest thing is that um. In real life, Biff Tannen's aging makeup and the way the actor has aged <laughs> look really, really similar. Mm. You you pointed me in the direction of a cracked article because I'd said to you at the beginning, the guy who played Biff Tannen, he's the one who hands out those cards with all about the cast. You know, Michael J. Fox is really nice. No, I'm not in, in regular contact with him. <laughs> Christopher Lloyd is really nice. No, I'm not in regular contact with him. And um, anyway, and he said he came up with the get like a tree, make like a tree, and get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, it's it is. It's adorable. He was on Psych. Actually, a lot of the are on Psych because Psych loves He's the, the greatest. But I just I get really excited whenever I see Tom Wilson, and I think it's because he hasn't been as as much no. since then, and he does seem to have other interests other than just acting. But he's he's a stand up comedian. Yeah, um, but he seems I don't know he seems like a nice person, mm. which sounds silly of me, but he and, does. Oh, you there's also a sort of a sense of for people who've done so, what a particular role that's very iconic, mm. who are not super famous, they're just kind of a regular person, but they've done this one super iconic thing in their life. It must be kind of strange. Going through life every day where you're constantly recognized, but you're not really famous, especially not to the level of his other co-stars. Yeah. I also think that he does a really good job of differentiating the Mm. different Biffs and Bufords and Tannins that he plays. Yeah, yeah. But I particularly like him in the third one. Mm. Um, Buford Buford is different to Biff in that he's like 
a little more obviously dumb, but he's also more menacing mm. in a lot of ways. Like Biff, you never really get the feeling that Biff could actually kill somebody, whereas you definitely get the feeling mm, that Biff but, could absolutely kill somebody. Yeah, definitely. Biff is kind of, what is the word? Bumbling. Mm. But there's something dangerous what, in Buford's yeah, stupidity. Buford, well, it almost seems like a different actor playing Buford. I know it's mm. the same guy, but Buford seems like an entirely uh, – it, it does. He doesn't even look the same. Well, that, yeah, they they put a lot more. There's well, a lot I mean, more there's makeup, a lot of, uh, but the way he carries on. himself is yeah. different. He's like he he even looks like he's a different height. He just looks so different in yeah. that role. It's great. Yeah. So and and then I also I like when you watch him do the really old Biff. Yes. The 2015 Biff with uh, alongside the 1955 Biff, he does a really good job <laughs> mm. as well because he's very different. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's. I think everybody does, uh, and I, I think everybody does a good job. And also, they recast Jennifer specifically so that she would fit oh. in better because the original movie Jennifer is terrible. And then they knock Elizabeth Shue out and leave her knocked out mm-hmm. until the end of the third movie. Yeah, pretty awful. I don't even know why they bother giving Marty a girlfriend. They just underuse her so much. Well, they, I mean, I get it in the first one. Well, yeah, she wasn't great, but they could have done. Like, if, but they if didn't know what to do with bother. her because the end of the first one. I mean, the first one is a is a complete film. Hmm. Like the teaser wasn't so much a teaser for another movie as just like there's more time travel adventures to come. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when they did that, they were like, well, now we have talked ourselves into a corner with all these time travel paradoxes. What are we going to do with Jennifer? Let's just knock her out. And they don't know what to do with women. Then they're just they're just treat them off. Like Lorraine only has one storyline where things turn out well for her out of the yes. four that she plays. And the thing is, she's so plucky and great, but and she I could know. do so much better. And I, f- I still feel like she could do so much better than George. I just, it yeah. really bothers me. I think it's silly. I know it's silly that it does, but like the whole first movie is about getting, and, and she's a bit of a creeper as well. Um, <laughs> yes. But the, the whole Equal first movie is about creepy. getting this like, and she's so like, she's constantly, Biff is just constantly harassing her and she, you know, kicks him in the shins and mm. tells him she's never ever going to go out with him and all this sort of stuff. And she's very like, she's not a passive character no. in any way. Mm-hmm. She makes her own decisions and makes her own choices, and yet they paint it like George has to win her somehow, and I don't yeah. really like that. And that everything is it just every and everything is dependent on her her being married to this one guy, and ugh, ugh. And they, there's also this weird like I, I think a couple of the Marty characteristics bother me because in the first one they're all like oh he's just like George right yeah. oh I, with the I can't take that kind of rejection he's he doesn't try hard enough to get the things he wants mm. George is so much worse than Marty though <laughs> like because Marty at least knows how to interact with other people without sounding like a total idiot yeah, whereas George is just a complete he's completely socially inept <laughs> although I still really love the I'm your density scene <laughs> yeah oh, well, it's a favorite yeah I really there's such good lines in these movies mm. who wrote them um Bob Gale okay um that yeah they're really well written very very funny classic very lines. sharp and they and are quotable it is that kind of that that line between being a live action cartoon mm. and being like reality so that the themes yeah. touch on things that we can connect with in reality, but everybody is like this heightened version of what they are. So Strickland mm. is a very heightened kind of principal who yep. calls everybody slackers and stuff like that. And like he does, he, he, they don't encourage students at all. No, you're just a slacker. You're just like your father. You're going to be just as bad as he, like what? what kind of and then immediately when, Marty and his band are playing. The teachers are like, "You're just too loud," and you're like, "We'll tell them to turn it down and then keep listening." <laughs> yeah. You know, like you don't, you don't do that. Yeah. Um. But from that to like the, you know, 
and Doc is like a really, really crazy scientist who spent all of his fam- family fortune on wild and crazy ideas <laughs> um, and nearly gets Marty killed several times. And why are they friends? Well, yeah, th- this is the, we had this whole conversation about this last night because in real life, if your teenage son is friends with this weird older man who lives alone and is quite eccentric, like people would ask questions. We made up a headcanon in our heads, you and I, which was that Marty either needed a science tutor or was really interested in science and sought out a mentor slash science tutor. Who uh, offers 24-hour sciencing services. <laughs> yes, because Doc Brown on the side of his van. It's <laughs> 24-hour science services. Yeah, so we, we had to make up this backstory to fit that in so that it didn't look creepy and weird. And we don't know why they're friends, but it almost, like, in the film never addresses it or cares to... And the thing is, they're like, they're best friends and they're mm. great together. They work really yeah. well together and you don't question it 90% of the time because it is just so, it just seems right. It, it really fits that this weird kid and this weird, slightly rebellious kid and this older mad scientist work together. Yeah. But it is, it's strange anyway. Mm. But he, I think for me, Doc is the most interesting character. I think one of the reasons why I like the third movie so much is that it's more about Doc and about Clara, played by Mary Steenburgen, like perfectly. Yeah. She's just so adorable and gorgeous and wonderful in that movie. And she's, again, really plucky. Yes, I, she's, she's fantastic. Um, but the whole, She really goes after what she wants. Yeah, exactly. And the, I mean, this series doesn't work without Doc. Marty's your lead, but he's a bit of a wet blanket at times. It's not so much that he's a wet blanket as that Marty has to... I feel like Marty is just in perpetual motion and perpetual um he he always has a goal that he has to complete in order to like save his himself slash his family slash the universe right mm-hmm. so basically all of Marty all the time is how to get to the next thing mm-hmm. what am I going to do to get to the next thing this thing is going wrong and it's stopping me from getting to this next part that I have to get to so that I can do this next mm. thing, right? So when they try to give Marty like character traits, a lot of them come off as forced, mm. which is why that kind of he's just like George thing always comes off as forced. And so does the chicken storyline. Oh, the chicken storyline. That's so annoying. But I like the way that he learns his lesson. But I also think that like, and the way that they repeat certain interactions over and over and over again yeah. um, gets a little old, I think, especially as an adult watching it. Yeah, but, but I mean, as a series of kids' movies, especially as a series of kids' movies released over a number of years, that works well. They actually, the the repetition ties things together, like the establishing shots of the town that happen every time, the different interactions that happen every time. They're very... Mr. Sandman, yeah. bring me a dream. Yeah, it's all very, um, it's all very grounding for an audience, especially for an audience that's... They were made, I think, without the future that they had in mind. They were made for people who were going to the cinema and hadn't seen it for four years and weren't going to see the next one for one year. And they didn't really make it like you would make something today with a view to eventually people are just going to watch this at home and they're not going to need the explanation of the next one when you watch the next movie kind of thing. But, mm. I mean, that's it's just how it how it works. And it's But it's, it is put, like it is all just uh, – you don't tend to get bored most of the time. Not at like, all. It, it's all. It moves really well. The first movie especially because oh, yeah. it like it just feels like the whole first two-thirds of the movie are set up. So yeah. you're just kind of like still catching up and by the time the, the finale su- starts and you're like, oh, the movie's nearly over already. Right. And it's, it is – perfectly put together and it's a really complete movie and I think the second one in particular suffers mm. from the back-to-back filming thing this is one of the first trilogies the first I believe the where two. they where they did that back-to-back filming on the second and third films yeah and it both of them 
both of the sequels suffer. I mean, the third one's fine because it has to round things out, but the second one really suffers because of that. I think also the third one works better because the 1885 story is its own self-contained story. There's yeah. just some bookends on the well, beginning that's, and, and end. And that's the other issue with the middle one is that he's got to go back into the storyline that he was in last time and it just it feels like you're retreading the whole thing. It would have been better to come up with a better, more complete future story. It might, yeah. I mean, I can see what they were trying to do with all of it. Mm. I think, yeah, that they could have spent more time in the future and more or time just, developing that yeah. storyline. But the future feels very silly. Mm-hmm. But then going back to 1985, there's some really fillery bits. Um, I don't think it's so much that the movie oh, is... Oh, they're trying to get the... Trying to get the sports almanac thing. The sports almanac stuff really drains me. Um, the the switched cover thing really. I was like, oh my god, because it just seems to, it, to be yeah. stretching it out so that that he's there for as long as he was before. Yeah, and that's the only reason that they keep putting in these. And you're just like, this is not. We're really, really pushing it now, guys. This yeah. is this is really pushing it. Um, and then the 2015 stuff, like. It just feels kind of silly, I think, because they had Michael J. Fox play both of his own kids. Yeah. Um, and they had that kind of like, I don't know, it, it just feels a little bit, it's like the most cartoony part of yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, you said last night of the, the daughter, because he, I mean, I, I could actually, I'm okay with him playing his son, but when they have him play his daughter, you put it, she's just a sight gag. Yeah. And that, it just, it takes it a bit too far into the realm of the cartoonish plus can i just point out my uh, uh doc comes back and he goes it's your kids we've got to do something about your kids but marlene seems fine yeah there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with her it's just, it's the, just son. the son because yeah. and and like you know they could have put him in makeup and a wig and made him play the daughter if they were going to do something but they always go for like the the dude storylines yeah it's just, yeah there's that there's some Fun, neat stuff about the future storyline that mm. I think works okay. But I th- the going back to the alternate 1985 yep. is the only really genuinely scary thing in that whole movie as well. Like yep. that's the only time that the threat feels real. Yeah, And again, it's because Biff is scarier then. Yeah, that's right. I think the movies always work best when Biff is like when they've got the really scary Biff. guy coming that they're coming up against mm. rather than like when they have a real threat and a real villain. That's mm. when things – and the real threat in the first movie isn't so much Biff as it is losing Marty. Mm. But in the other movies, it's definitely like yep. and much the more him. 1985 um, Biff where the sexual predator has actually married his victim mm. is the worst Biff. Yeah. And he's the scariest bit. But he's also like a (laughs) murderer. He's actually a murderer because he killed George. So Yeah. uh, But he's also like, I I just think that you see the way that Biff could go in all the different in all the different timelines. Yeah. So, like, what you've got is this kid who lives with his grandmother and clearly doesn't have the best life ever mm. and is a bully all the time, right, to yep. children and to everybody. But you sort of, they go in what are the directions he could go in. Mm. He becomes a bully at work in one timeline and he's still mean to George, but you also get the feeling that he's really not that successful. And then yep. you've got the timeline where he is um, submissive Biff and, mm. like, the, you know, like, properly hunched over bowing all the time like yeah you know auto detailer biff yeah and then Mm. you get the genuinely powerful biff who's become successful in work but also through cheating with the sports almanac has made an absolute fortune has turned into this donald trump like character and he's truly evil yeah 
So um, um it, it it is. It's an interesting examination of where like early intervention kind of thing with a troubled kid. Not almost. so much early intervention with a troubled kid is this kid is a bad person. These <laughs> are the things that a bad person might end up doing. Yeah. Because well, they well, never go down the path of well, maybe Biff might not be terrible if something nice ever happened to uh, him. Yes, and maybe if we instead of just punching him, if we come to a reasonable arrangement of Or know, if we talk to him about like respecting women and how the yeah. way that he's behaving <laughs> is not cool. So if we did that, then we could have some kind of other future where Biff is just a well adjusted adult. Yes, and tries to make up for the things that he did in the past yeah. by being a good person. Wouldn't that be interesting? Um mm-hmm. <laughs> we'd spend a lot of time talking about Biff. Um We have. Well, uh, he's he's uh, yeah he's Biff and terrific. Lorraine, these are our favourites. Um Biff and Lorraine and Doc are my favourites. Yeah. And I really like Clara too. Yes. I love Clara her. Clara's purple really... dress. Oh, oh my, my God, that purple dress that she wears. So on the fashion report side of things. No wonder I loved this movie when I was a kid. She's got this fancy bustly dress and it's purple and shiny and amazing. A purple and black and the hat matches. Oh, And, and then she amazed. goes the whole action sequence in this amazing purple oh, and dress. She's got this, the only thing about that action sequence with the train though is she leans backwards off the train and she's got, you know, 1800s length hair. And you're like... That would definitely have gotten caught up in the train wheels. Oh, my God. And every time it stresses me out watching it. This is a sequence (laughs) in which a train with magical fire powers (laughs) or magical fire science things pushes a time-traveling DeLorean over into the future and Marty releases a hoverboard for the other guys to get away on. And I'm worried about her hair. Yes. This is true. I'm just I'm just saying that maybe there <laughs> maybe we could have different priorities. Um uh, that, yeah, that whole bit is is pretty exciting. It's like the who train scene a train heist. It's yeah, it it, um, it harkens back to those very first silent films. You know how well literally you, the great train robbery, right? Yeah, you know right? how you get taught in film school like the first thing you get taught is that when trains first appeared on screen, it freaked people out mm-hmm. having a train come at them. It really does harken back to old America, like the first silent film Films, the frontiers, all that sort of thing. Well, it's really fun. Kind of also, hits it's a lot just of really fun tropes. because, like, I, I love, I love westerns as long as they're not westerns. I love the way that other movies do westerns, like sci-fi, we- sci- uh, sci-fi westerns and western musicals, and basically anything mm. that's all like spaghetti westerns. I like better than westerns. Anything that's a western that's not really a western is great. Yep. Um, and this one does particularly well because they, I, we were talking also about how some of this, the fashion isn't exactly right, but they evoke the feel of the place really well. Mm without getting the fashion perfectly right, and that's really good. Yeah, the 1950s stuff in particular, I think you were we were talking about that. Yeah, there's a couple of shirts too. that are really off mm. and hairstyles, and the dress is much too low cut for anybody to actually have worn and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But at the same time, it, it gets the mood right and mm-hmm. the feel of it right. So does yep. it matter particularly, especially in these cartoony kind of movies? Yeah, well, it, because they're not going for the old west. They're going for the wild west, capital W, capital D. Like, mm. it, it's it's... A feeling of nostalgia and it's something that obviously Spielberg does very, very well. He really knows like the film history and the cultural history that bring people will bring together in their heads to create this thing. Yeah. And um when we watched Macbeth recently, mm-hmm. they went for really, really historically accurate. I think at the expense and of it dragged the it down storytelling. Yeah. Um so 2015 is kind of different to what we thought it would be like, huh? Yeah, in a f- quite a few ways. Although apparently I I know very little about American sports, but apparently the Cubs are heading towards the finals of the World Series. Well, that's exciting. They could win the World Series. We don't know yet. It hasn't finished. Um, no, it is quite different. We don't have hoverboards. We don't have self-lacing We shoes. do have hoverboards, but we don't have commercially available uh, hoverboards in the same way. Or commercially available 
self-lacing shoes in the same way. Yeah. We don't have flying cars. Yeah, I know that. We sad. all very close. To, we do have some self-driving cars on the roads now. That scares me. That really freaks me out. Are you kidding? I I cannot wait to have cut my car drive myself. I feel like the computer is able to take in a lot more detail and inf- and data to make better decisions than I could. Yes, I know, but what if the car decides it wants to kill me? Well, that is, I suppose, a possibility. <laughs> you know how I feel about robots. Maybe. <laughs> anyway, we don't have flying cars. I'm probably okay with that because we haven't really mastered driving on the ground yet and flying only adds another degree of difficulty to that. So I can live with us not having flying cars. Uh, nobody uses fax machines anymore. They're pretty right on video calling. Um, using your fingerprint to get into your house isn't a thing yet, but... We all use our fingerprints to get into our phones. Or all well, the people who are rich enough to afford new iPhones use their fingerprints to get into their phones. The last three generations of iPhone have had a fingerprint scanner on them. So, I mean, if you have I a phone have that, that you bought in the last two years, you probably have a phone that you get into with your thumbprint. Mm. But, I mean, still, it's pretty common to get to use your thumbprint. I use it for to do banking on my phone. Um, yeah. That's quite normal. Nobody gets faxes anymore. Um, I think also voice recognition is not at the point that we thought it would be by now. No, but it That's is That's one thing better. that I've been thinking about a lot recently with trying to make Siri understand the things that I want her to do. I only ever ask Siri to do really simple things like, Siri, set a timer for 10 minutes when I've got cookies in the oven or something. Yeah. Well, I because I um, when I'm driving places, I will tell Siri to text the person that I'm coming to pick up. Oh, right, of course. So that by the time I get there, yeah. they will actually have come out. Yeah. I'm talking about some specific people here who were very slow. <laughs> so you've got to, you have yeah, to text yeah, them well no. before you get there for them to come I, out. I, I, <laughs> I don't use Siri to the potential I could use Siri. So, I mean, it's becoming more common. It's just not quite there. And yeah. I mean, we still, actually, uh, Jelly and Russell did an episode of Topical about this recently, about user interfaces, and they started talking about Star Trek and how in Star Trek, all commands to the computer are verbal. Mm. And um, they both were like, I don't think that would work in the real world because quite often you want to do things on your computer or phone where you don't want other people hearing what you're saying. And they, they were like, because you hear, you see in Star Trek, where if there are like a couple sleeping in quarters and one half of the couple wants to get up and ask the computer for something, they're like, computer, can you please replicate a <laughs> tea, Earl Grey, hot, so as not to wake their partner. It's just not like practical. And also like sometimes you want to Google things that, you know, you maybe don't want other people to hear that you're Googling. I also feel f- – but there are interfaces in Star Trek where you can connect with the computer non-verbally. And the computer has uh, keys on them. The computers yeah. in Star Trek do But have- I think it might just be that like in the specific rooms. So they could, you know, yeah. work and, on and getting ki- getting keyboards and stuff into well, the rooms. And because there are like the big interfaces that they use in that one episode where everybody was de-aged. Mm. They had the big interface. Yeah. Stuff like that. Well, oh, and the other th- the other reason for you for <laughs> voice commands work really well on film and TV because they're a whole lot less boring than watching someone typing something on a screen, which is again, they probably plus it it gets the information across to us. Yes, that's right. Like it's it's easier than you don't you're not making someone read something, especially in a movie that's like this movie is targeted at kids probably age about eight and up. Yeah. So their reading skills probably aren't going to be up to seeing someone type something in onto a screen. They're- Actually, I watched Shaun the Sheep recently, and they. There's no talking in those in that movie at all. No, there's like wah, 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 wah kind of thing and huh. uh, and sound effects and music and that's it. Mm. And they're trying to get across the concept that one of the characters has amnesia, and they show a board <laughs> oh, that says he has amnesia on it. And I'm like, this is clearly aimed at like five year olds. They're not going to read amnesia. No. Um. So sometimes you do have to be a little bit more blunt to get your point across. Yeah, and, and a movie like this, it ma- it makes it much easier. That's why the voice recognition thing is always going to be better in movies than it is in real life. 
Also, disappointingly, we're not all wearing our jeans inside out. No, no. And we still use our hands very frequently to play games, so they're not just toys for babies, like Elijah Wood's friend says. <laughs> Which is the best bit about the second movie, is oh my the God, Elijah Wood cameo. It's so exciting Baby Elijah Wood is adorable. He so is, with his, like, giant cap and stuff. I just, I like how there's this thing with with the future in movies where they always go for, like, What's fashionable now? Let's just make that fancier and make that the fashion of the future. Like if you go back from 1985 to 1955, mm. how did they not apply that kind of an idea to the future? I mean, even if it looks nothing like what we're wearing, it ends up looking something like what they wore in Star Trek. Um, awful clothes, awful clothes in those shows. Um, yeah. At least they were going for something that's radically different from what the people were wearing at the time because it just doesn't make sense to me that you're like, yes, people now like caps. Let's make the caps bigger. Yes, people now like this particular style of sneaker. Let's make that look fancier and more futuristic. Rather than thinking that what really happens is people react against the fashion that came earlier. So now we're actually... And then they have resurgences, but then they have resurgences that look different to... Yeah, so now we're at a point where on... I think we're on a 90s revival at the moment, if the number of crop tops I'm seeing around is indicative of anything. And so... But that's like a reaction against a different sort of fashion that we were wearing in the last decade, which was a bit more inspired like which was probably also inspired by early eras but also had its own spin on the era like they yeah it is but i mean it's hard to do it's really hard to project forward like that. it is but i'd rather see something that's radically different than something that like you can look at this and go but that's the 80s mm. yeah version you have of the to future. you have to do something and well yeah exactly something that's a bit of a reaction against what you yeah what you're doing i think now. that's one of the reasons why a lot of the stuff that's set in the future works so well with doing taking stuff from the past mm. like star wars and um firefly and oh, stuff yeah, like that where they like go, where they go right back yeah where they go way backwards to try and make future stuff. Star Wars isn't set in the future, though. It's set in the past. Yeah, but it's set in space. Yeah. <laughs> and it looks, it's, it's, you know, we don't think of it as being set in the past. We think of it as being, like, futuristic. Yes. And, and the, I know it's set in the past. Take, and it, it, it takes styling cues from a bunch of different places that, and that kind of that work together to make its own particular aesthetic. Even, like, Blade Runner which I don't like, at least does things that are significantly different enough that it doesn't oh, look is, too much this like it. something that, that annoyed me with um, 2001 Space Odyssey, which obviously we had 20 minutes of talking about things that annoyed us about 2001 Space Odyssey. Ugh. But they, when the people on the spaceship in their full-on 1960s outfits, like the big round 1960s hats and the everybody dressed as though it were the 1960s, just, yeah, not good. No, it really isn't. Yeah, and this movie as well, like the jacket and the – the, but they're wearing exactly the same jeans. Yeah. But they all wear them inside out. I'm very disappointed in you, youth of today, for not wearing your jeans inside out. <laughs> um, they're too busy wearing 90s mum jeans. That's why. But, yeah, that he's wearing jeans that don't look out of place in the 80s. No. And then, you know, when they're talking about you shouldn't be wearing those futuristic shoes in 1955, mm. like, it just, I don't know. It, it does kind of, it, it's a bit disappointing that it's so, like, limited in its imagination when it's got such a good imagination for other things. I guess. Yeah, they, they could have gone all out, gone further out. I think yeah. that's where we're going with that. And the 50s costumes are even better in the second one than in the first one. Mm. There's, I'm thinking specifically of like there's a scene where Lorraine's on the street and oh, Biff sh- comes up and attacks her. Yeah, with her, she, but she's got the like dress. the poodle skirt on. Yes. Super oh, cute. I, I love every one of her 50s outfits was amazing and her hair was just always perfectly done. And then she, she has these, yeah, there's like a little 
purple sweater and her mm-hmm. little full skirt and her friend is it has the same it has a different kind of hairdo and it just And perfect. even Biff looks more fifties ish mm. in the second one. I Biff think. is a wonderful nineteen fifties name. Yeah. Yeah. But I still think the third one quits itself the best on in terms of like the clothes and mm. the and the recreation of the era. Yeah. Works really well. Mm. And also has the most I, I just feel like also like right when Marty gets to eighteen eighty five when he gets strung up, I immediately feel like that it's more of a threatening. The stakes world. are much higher. The stakes are so much higher. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that's why it makes it so funny. And I I do think I I love the um juxtaposition in all the movies about like the most important thing is frequently trying to get two people together or trying to keep two people apart. Mm. <laughs> like there's, there's a relationship going on, and they're like it's the most important thing in the world that that George and and Lorraine hook up. Yeah. Um. <laughs> In the first one, like the 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 drama with which Doc r- delivers lines about whether or not George and Lorraine are going and then to get he and he delivers a line about we've got to go and save your children yeah with the same level of drama and the drama is that their son might get arrested well they don't yeah I mean they they yeah. have to kind of follow up from the first one on that yeah but and they, it's not they, the same stakes it, they though. really should have given it more like the days you know the time leading up to the thing that's going to happen and stuff yeah like it was too fast um, well that's it they just go there on the day of they don't do any because the thing about the reason the 1955 one works is he's got to spend a week there first mm. and it works quite well uh, yeah there's it doesn't work um, no but then uh, and then the third one it's all about like Marty being fed up with the the old people yeah. <laughs> who keep like staring at into each other's eyes and he's like uh guys Ugh, time travelers people <laughs> I love it yeah I love it so much fun yeah um yeah there were more things I wanted oh yeah okay so getting back to that thing we said at the beginning about Lorraine um Seamus and and Maggie bit oh right yes so the third movie just kind of finally bites the bullet and and goes full incest really and, well yeah. By pairing up Michael J. Fox and Leah Thompson, who yeah. have really good chemistry yeah. for people who are supposed to be playing mother and son. Well, this was always the issue with it because the first one is kind of incesty mm-hmm. in that, like unknowingly so, but it is. But also knowingly so. It's. But, I mean, that's the part of the joke. Yes, the, but the joke is knowingly so. But the people are unknowing about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, where Matt, where Lorraine is is hitting on her son, mm. he's just like this is so uncomfortable. <laughs> um and very entertaining but the thing is that like in order to get that to work they actually ended up having good chemistry yeah and so the third one they just kind of have finally pair the two of them together yeah even though genetically it would make absolutely no sense Zero for a sense. woman who looks like the you know his mother who would have been born in the 1930s and a man who looks just like him to be paired up in the 1880s, no. they are paired up and they do it I mean partially because Leah Thompson is so good and they wanted to keep her in the movie. I'm I'm pretty sure. No, I think it's the gag. It's just the they I mean they will do anything to keep their gags going. And in every movie there's a scene where Marty wakes up in a foreign bed. Yes, Mom, is, it, that Mom you? is that you? Yeah. Don't worry, you're safe here in good old wherever it is. Yeah. And then he goes eh, 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 and then he like jumps up in the bed yes. and he's like, "Oh my god, you're my but you're my but you're so you're so whatever." Yeah. And these his ancestors have got to be called McFly, so they've got yeah, you know, so they've got to be his male ancestors, and therefore his male ancestors all look like him. So therefore he's got to play them. Yeah. Well, they they also can't get Crispin Glover back. Crispin yes. Glover wouldn't return for the second. Yeah, second yeah, that's movies. right. I so knew that. I just forgot to talk about it. Um, and I think it, but it does make it incesty. Yes, very much. <laughs> but they just finally just put those two together as a couple, mm-hmm. and it does feel like the movies kind of ship them more than Jennifer and Marty because Jennifer doesn't really do anything. No, for Jennifer a really has long time. nothing. Poor Jennifer. Even though they upgrade the actress. Yes. 
Our poor Elizabeth Shoe. Like, what a job. Yeah. Basically, you have four lines. Um, yeah. The music in these movies is so good. Mm, Alan Silvestri. The music is so. Oh, hey, Avengers. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That guy. He's great. The music is so good, but it's not just the music of. Like the theme, which everybody knows. Um, mm. It's not just the theme music that's really good. <laughs> I'm just remembering some of the thunderclaps in the third one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the very dramatic thunderclaps that that accompany certain reveals. Um, no, but it, it's like the music at the dances as well. Like the yeah, uh, yeah. when as soon as I see the dance coming, I know I can start humming the theme. Mm. Like I can sing the ZZ Top music from the third mm. film. Yeah. Like ZZ Top fit in so well in 1885 with their beards yeah. and but like and that and the and the the under the sea dance and mm. stuff like before it's coming I'm like once I see them getting ready for it I'm like oh yes and then the music just pops into my head. Mm-hmm. So the music for them is just fantastic. Yeah. Um and and the way that it's used as well like the different themes for everybody and stuff mm. it's really cool. I like the music a lot. Yeah, I mean it just it's it's one of those thing projects where everybody was on top of their game and all of the little all of the departments just work perfectly together to pull the world the whole yeah. world the whole film together and the music and the costumes and the directing and the acting and everyone just kind of pulls together on it it's what i'm loosely terming the lord of the rings effect i should yeah. probably call it something else but it, yeah lord of the rings has the same thing where mm. everybody cared a lot about making this well, world work and all the cast work together i feel we, we talked really about passionate. this on um the first jurassic park actually i yeah. think when we, it's just, it's so i mean spielberg was this in this period on top at the top of his game did we yeah we kind of talked about how the reason the first Jurassic Park works is because everyone is like top notch. It's a mm. you know the director is the top of his game. He's very experienced, and but it's also it's also got a really top notch composer and a top notch um, world building and the effects people and the creature people and all all of them work together. And it was kind of why it works so much better than any of its sequels and particularly its reboot. Yeah, because um yeah they they didn't necessarily have the same kind of years of experience coming into it yeah um it's not just the years of experience though i mean it's also the commitment mm-hmm. like the amount level of yep. commitment that you're willing to put in which that's and, and this is where we go into lord of the rings effect and people really having that understanding of what they're trying to do because you can see the people who do have the understanding of it and the people who don't mm. like they keep bringing back strickland because he had that level of knowing that where he was pitching that character, was com- even though he's a very mm-hmm. minor role, right? Yeah, he's completely Goldie committed. Goldie gets to come back as well, doesn't he? Oh, no, he doesn't. No, he I doesn't don't think he back. does. Somebody else comes back, I'm thinking of. Mm. But I can't remember who it is. But, like, a couple of the minor characters get to return because they mm. – and that's very white, by the way, super white movies. Yeah, and then there's some, there's some a lot of ca- sort of casual racism, some of it deliberate and in character, like the Chinese remark in 1885, and some of it accidental, like having the entirely black band sitting in their car smoking pot. Yeah, or the um the there's Chuck a, Berry thing. Yeah, which the is Chuck Berry. notorious, but – in the movie, it's just I played like- as like um, as I mean, Chuck Berry still invented the music. Mm. It's just that he then Michael J. Fox brings it back and mm. and inspires him earlier, which to is yeah. It. But uh, um, I don't think it's erasing him. It's the um the thing that was on Doctor Who recently. It's called something. There's something or other effect or oh the, yes. the Mozart thing where Doctor Who even says Google it and yeah, bug it if does. I can remember what it's called. I just remembered another accidentally racist thing and. Oh, that's it. The black fa- when he comes back to um, bad nineteen eighty five, and 
the na- his neighborhood's gotten so bad that a black family is living in it. It's like one of those other sort of again. I don't think that so much that they were going for this neighborhood is so bad a black family is living in it as we need more black people in this movie. They probably did, but then the only time we see other than the mayor that we see a whole black family is because his neighborhood's gone to the dogs and there's different yes. people living in it. Exactly. So, so it is it's that like casu- that casual that, racism yeah. of the whole thing. Casual, frequently unintentional racism is what yeah, they're all about. That, that that's that's it. Oh, right, you found the Doctor Who thing? Bootstrap Paradox. So that's it. It is, has a good name. Got mm-hmm. So, yeah, the Bootstrap Paradox is what I is mm. what I think they were going and, – and the gag. Again, like I, I do think these movies will do anything for the gag. Like that one joke that they're going for, they mm. will do anything to get. It's a very comedy kind of way of thinking. Like they will throw out everything else as long as it's funny. Mm. And then they do that a couple of times in the first movie with the sci-fi stuff as well. Yeah. Like the he's an alien kind of stuff. I am um, Darth Vader from the planet Vol and stuff like that yes and sometimes things don't entirely make sense and stuff like that although they do a fairly good job of making sure that they plant all of the things they need for a later scene to work out the i would way say they, they do a to. really good job of that like it's always very clear where everything comes and then the big final climax of all three movies makes use of a whole bunch of things that mm-hmm. they planted from early movies so yeah they they do uh, they do set up everything so that you it pays off pretty well. Mm. Um, there are certain things where you're just like, wait, how did that work? And how does this happen? And oh, I forgot to talk about in the fashion future fashion the ties, the oh, ties, either are... a plastic tie or two ties. Yeah, that, that you... thing. <laughs> two like complementary ties where like the yeah, picture yeah. kind of comp, but it's two different ties. Tie fashion in the future is awful. Like T I E, not T H A I. Ties, I'm not insulting tie people. Yes, as in neckties, which are yes. completely stupid. In, in the first place and will presumably go away as we can move into the future. But for, Yeah, everybody knows bow ties are better. T- ties are really stupid. If you were an alien who came – this is completely off topic, but if you're an alien who came to Earth, you would be like, why do you wear small scraps of silk around your neck and consider that dressed up? <laughs> well, why does anybody wear anything and consider it dressed up? Mm. I mean, how do any of those – anyway, well, this is much more philosophical than we were yeah, supposed to but, get into I mean, it's not like a The shirt. ties were dumb. Why, yeah. why would you even Wait. have a clear plastic tie, though? You can't even see it unless it's no, swinging but they, around. They, that t- clear plastic tie seemed very 80s to me. I feel like you would see that in a um, – God, what is that band with, like, the triangle traffic cone things on their head? Devo. Yeah, one of their videos. I feel like you would see them wearing a uh, clear plastic tie. The, yes. Good. Um, yeah, I just I remember Doc coming back and he's got the tie and the glasses and it's just, mm, it's just weird. And then he does the sunglasses drop with the where we're going, we don't need roads, which is another one of my favorite lines. And that, well, that delivery, that sunglasses drop, perfect. Just I think he has a lot perfect. of my favorite lines. Yes, uh, other than Biff. make like a tree and get out of yeah, here. Yeah, him and Biff have... have share pretty much all my favorite lines between them and then there's the i'm your density one but yeah i don't know i can't remember if there's anything else i particularly wanted to talk about oh and doc's head hat hair oh, the do- third oh one, which doc cracked me up the whole hair. time yeah um but every time i see like for some reason there's there's not i'm not very shippy in general no. there's not a whole lot of couples that like have any particular effect on me when i watch movies and stuff uh-huh. but for some reason Clara and Doc really get to me. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but whenever I see them together, I'm like, oh, my God, they're so cute. And then he does pull that you're not like other girls thing, which really oh, annoys he fake me. Girls I've too. never met another girl who likes Jules Verne before. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, Doc Brown has probably not met a whole lot of women. Like, <laughs> he spent his whole life in his mansion as it slowly, like, falls yeah. down around him well, there are science. Some, there are some, like, um, troubling stereotypes about male geeks in there. Like there's that one where he fake geek girls are about the Jules Verne thing, but also you've got the um 
socially awkward George Bucklay yeah. kind of trope about oh he's he's not a creeper he's just socially awkward and wants to talk to see, girls. See, this is why I'm I'm like ninety percent sure that Marty is a closet geek, and that's mm-hmm. why he's so into all the science stuff. Yeah, but he's like, no, I'm too cool to be into science. Explain right. all of the science to me. But then, because otherwise, I mean, he comes up with, with with the Darth Vader from Vulcan thing. I know, with, like off the top of his head. Right, mm-hmm. like clearly he's into Star Wars and Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I think Marty McFly is just like the whole time he's like a closet geek, and the whole time he's like, "No, I'm cool, I'm cool, I'm cool, I'm going to be cool." Because in 1985, it was not cool to be a geek. Right, exactly. But really, he's actually just a big geek. That would make a whole lot of sense for a whole lot of plot points. Yeah, there's a whole lot of stuff where he's just, and he knows, you know, his his love of like his immediate thought of Clint Eastwood and all that sort of. Mm. I think he's just this huge, massive geek, and he's mm-hmm. just like, no, I'm cool, totally. Yeah, I'm cool. I'm in a band. Cool kids are in bands, right? <laughs> I like playing like heavy metal guitar, but he doesn't just want to play it. He wants to turn it up as loud as he possibly yeah. can and figure and he out how he's going to do that. The heck out of it, exactly. Also, he sleeps in really funny positions. Well, that's not geeky. It's just a comment. Oh, and the 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 um. Jules and Vern and the kid who fl- who oh, oh, points shit to the kid. <laughs> yes, J- Vern at what? the end. What a little shit. <laughs> so Such funny. A- but you just see the kid come out and he looks like a naughty kid. Yeah, he does. No. Yeah, Jules just stands there doing the right thing. There are they're actually watching the kids in these movies in general is pretty funny because there's another kid earlier on when they're in the fifties who just loses interest in being in the scene yes. and is like playing with his overalls <laughs> while like the, the ball is getting thrown away and the kids are all like, "Oh no, Biff, why did you?" And the other kids in the back like, "Yep, playing with my overalls, not paying any attention <laughs> to the fact that I'm on screen right now." Uh. Bob anyway. Zemeckis, classically famous director of children. Yeah. Uh, it is really – it's funny because, you know, that sort of stuff I ended up watching because, like, the main plot of that part is already getting really boring and you're watching mm. Marty stealthing, oh, like, gosh. following him around, like, in the most obvious of ways. So unstealth. In gorgeous shots. That guy is so well shot. It's not just – it doesn't just look beautiful. Like, the shots are very well composed. Mm. Um, Like, the one the, – there's one that I specifically commented on where Clara is at the train station and the train comes in and, she, and the she, smoke she, billows up. Yeah, she She's shot in profile and her big 1880s bustle and, yes. Um, But but the whole thing, like, then the smoke comes up in front of her and behind her and then it fades away and the train's coming up and, Mm. ah, I love it, I love it. And and, uh, that famous shot of Marty standing in the rain, which I think Mm. is maybe my favourite, one of my favourite scenes in the second movie. That bit is so Twilight Zone creepy cool. I like Mm. that. And there's no music on it. Yep. It's very well done. The, the way that the DeLorean is lit in the end of the first movie yeah. makes me happy. There's a lot of s- scenes that just look really good. And, of course, there's the Spielberg opening where we don't see Marty's face for the yeah. at the beginning and he comes in and I was like, is there has there ever been a more 80s opening than this opening mm-hmm. where he comes in and he's got his, like, pumps and jeans with his skateboard and yeah. <laughs> Like, his electric guitar and his, and his amplifier yeah. and the yeah and and he goes whoa that's like heavy duty man <laughs> and then they do the heavy great Scott jokes through the whole thing <laughs> whoa frisbee far out I don't know what he was talking about it was right in front of him I could quote these movies for days yeah. so I won't let's give them ratings I'm having a think probably three for the middle one because it's the weekly that's what I was gonna say um <laughs> probably still good but probably fours for the other two but I, I feel like uh, they deserve higher ratings that like that's just on the quality of the films but I feel like they deserve higher ratings for that because of their lasting cultural impact yeah so I would probably give each of them another half star for that my bigger problem is I like the third one the best but I think the first is the best movie yes it's the, I think it's the most complete. Sorry. <laughs> Very smooth. <laughs> the most complete <laughs> storyline. It is. Um, 
I, but the thing is, the fifth, the fourth, the third one, the, the fourth one, no, the third nope. one just like I, because I was really lagging. We we watched these late, like they they went until late. Last yeah, night. it was. I was really flagging the second one. The third one, I was just like, yay, and I did not. <laughs> My get favorite bored. is here. My favorite is here. And yeah. and I never got bored in the whole thing, and I was really into it. And mm. and uh, I just it's so much fun for me. I love the third one. It's yeah, a, but so I feel like you know my ratings would be like. Five, three, four. Yep. But then, in terms of how much I enjoyed them, it would be more like four, three, five. Mm. So there you go, internet. Do <laughs> yeah. what you want with that. Yeah. Information. Yep. All right. Then I'll wrap up. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you would like to read our show notes, they're on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. You can find us on Facebook, Silver Screen. Um, nope, nope. Facebook.com <laughs> forward slash Silver Screen Queens. On Twitter at screen underscore queens and Tumblr, tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com. And if you would like to read Katie's review of all of the movies she watches, probably not these ones. No, because they're not new to me. All of the uh, all of the other movies that she watches. You can do that on her blog, silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com. Don't forget to rate us and review us. And once again, if you give us a review um, and then you request a movie for us to watch, we will watch it. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.